If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Lance. I'm one of the pastors here. I, I think you picked a great Sunday to be here. Not only do your kids get chucked up on sugar and candy, uh, but we get to hear a little bit about Jesus too as we continue our series, Source Code. Source Code is a series that we've been going through, really the building blocks and foundational elements of all we do. It's when the plan, uh, really when the plan gets executed, we see it play out in our source code. We see this happen, but isn't it true we can all step back and look at technology and just be like dumbfounded of where we've gotten to today? I mean, there's incredible things like electricity, which we all are, of course, thankful for. Heat, which, whoa, I don't know about you, but this week I have been thankful for. Uh, the heat in my house, there's uh, even advanced things like LED walls and TVs. I mean, I don't know if you've seen at Costco lately, they'll send like a 900-inch TV for $7. It's amazing. <laughs> And then, don't even get me started on AI. You get to see the things that AI can do. It's exciting and troubling, kind of all together. But AI is incredible to see. And even with all of these unbelievable advancements in technology, all the things that we're able to create, I still run into this. An unexpected error has occurred. Do you guys get that? I mean, I'm just sitting here on Outlook. I don't know what happened. And all of a sudden, an unexpected error has occurred. I'm like, I'm not on the dark web. I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm not doing anything sneaky. I'm not trying to hack into the CIA. I don't understand what I am doing that is so unexpected. It feels like this is all pretty normal. I'm just sitting here in Microsoft Word, just pushing away. I don't know what I did on my Excel spreadsheet algorithm that blew this up, but I don't know about you, I've faced this before. And we all do the same thing. I know many of you work at Microsoft. You give me the same advice. You just turn that thing off and turn it right back on. You just turn that thing off, turn it back on. You say a tiny little prayer. You lay your hands on your computer and you're gonna be good to go. I mean, it's just gonna fire up. But isn't it true unexpected errors happen and even the things that we lay out well? I know the programmers, they go into so much depth and detail to plan for everything. And then all of a sudden, something unexpected happens. And it gets me thinking about our life, that we may have a plan, we may have a goal, we may have an agenda for what we're doing, but isn't it true that oftentimes life doesn't go the way that we planned? Isn't it true that even though we have a great source code, we've been talking about great things like prayer and reading the Bible, all these different things, but isn't it true even if you have a great plan, things can still go wrong? Things can still hit you that you didn't even know were coming. And honestly, I think we've all been in this place before. It gets me thinking of this incredible quote by this great philosopher, theologian, thinker, really one of the greatest ones we have of our generation. His name's Mike Tyson. And he said this, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Isn't that true? Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And when it came to fighting Mike Tyson, I mean, everybody had a plan. Here was his weakness. They'd have everybody breaking him down with coaches. And it didn't matter. That dude was built like a truck. And one punch came in. And he punched way more gracefully than this. You're already thinking, I could beat this guy up for sure. But... Man, he would land one truck, I mean, of a punch, and it would just knock people out. The only plan they had from there is a life insurance plan. I mean, it was it, everything. You'd see them, they'd stumble, they'd be disoriented, they'd be all over the place, and the plan goes out the window. And maybe you've been in that place too, where you had a plan for your life until you got punched in the mouth with something you never expected. You had a plan for your career, and things were going well, I mean, you were getting promotions, you were on schedule, you had your path and your trajectory, and then the layoff started, 
and you didn't know it was gonna happen and, and it started to happen to your friends and your peers and you thought, I'm safe, it can't happen to me and all of a sudden, you're punched in the mouth and you're trying to figure out what this means for your family, for your future, for where you're gonna live, for what employment's gonna look like and you are thrown off your plan. You have a plan of how your marriage is supposed to go? That you thought it was gonna go well and, and man, it's not like it's the best marriage but you, were, you thought it was a good marriage until your spouse looked at you in the face and they said, I don't think I love you anymore. And you feel like you got punched in the mouth and you don't know where it came from. You don't know what's happening. You feel disoriented and distracted. It wasn't until you went to that checkup that you thought was gonna be a routine doctor's checkup and they, they found something they wanted more information on. They said not to worry, but you started to worry and it turns out your worry was placed in something significant because they found something you never expected and you ended up with a diagnosis. You walked out of there, punched in the mouth because your life changed forever and now you're wrestling with the priorities of your life and the values and what do I do with my time and you're trying to figure this out because to be honest, life comes at us fast and in the hardest moments, even though we have great source code, even though we've got a great plan, things don't always go to plan and it makes me wonder, what do we do? when things don't go the way that we planned, when things don't go the way that we had hoped and anticipated. Because for all of us, we're gonna have to face this, whether it's now or later, and based on the size of this room and the amount of people watching online, based on the prayer requests that we get, I would guess that there are a number of people in this room or watching online or at one of our other campuses who feel that, who feel like they're in a season where they've been punched in the mouth. And you're wondering how to navigate this. It makes me think of the, uh, the ultimatum that we've all been given in our life. Do you want the good news first or the bad news first? How many of you are bad news first people? Okay, there you are. It's dark in here. Man, this is great. How many of you are good news first people? Everclear optimist. You don't even want to hear the bad news. You just, let's just stop at good news. It's great. How many of you just don't vote at church when I say raise your hand? Yeah, a large percentage of you as well as every season of our life has good news, bad news. We all know this, same thing with Halloween. When we face Halloween, we know the good news happens and man, it is good news that the king of candy, the absolute best, God's manifestation of his grace and care outside of Jesus Christ, the Snickers bar comes into play for all of us. It's socially acceptable to go to the store and get a Snickers. You can pretend it's for trick-or-treaters, but you honestly know it's for you. How many of you here love a nice Snickers bar? Come on, yes, godly people all over the place. The Holy Spirit's moving. Come on. I, I want to make sure our kids aren't the only ones who get candy. Who needs a Snickers bar this morning to make it through the message? Yeah, right here in the front row. I respect that. Your face just lit up. This is the best day at church. You're thinking, I almost didn't come, and this is the best. I don't care what he says from here. He doesn't have to use the Bible. This is the best day at church ever. Good news, bad news. Bad news is, though, there are certain candies that I don't know how they're still manufactured. I don't think it's ethical. I don't think it's right. I think the FDA needs to step in and make sure, especially because we give these to kids. Have you guys ever tasted good and plenty before? <laughs> this has to be the most inedible product I have ever seen. We need a Netflix documentary. We need Man of God right there. I mean, we need... <laughs> We need investigations. This is horror. Anyone like Good and Plenty in here? You raised your hand after that preface. <laughs> All that. Anybody? Come on, make it proud if you're going to do it. Okay, Good and Plenty fan. Listen, I'm going to bring this. I'm going to give this to you. I don't even want it near me anymore, but I'm going to give this to you. 
Oh, intercepted. What a, what a snag. Okay, that's great. Whoever eats that, I have way less respect for you, but that's okay. Just don't give it to kids, okay? I can't be tied to this when the FBI comes in for the investigation. That's disgusting. Good news, bad news comes in all kinds of ways. And the bad news that I want to start with, come on, you're smart. This is not going to surprise you. No, this is true. Bad news is God doesn't stop bad news. I wish he did. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if God just stopped bad news? I'm not even talking for everybody. That'd be nice for everybody, especially for those of us that are on his team though, right? Like that feels like the least thing he could do. He's all powerful, all knowing. Just stop bad news for us. That'd be great. My job would be so easy if people started following Jesus and bad things stopped happening to them. It'd be great. This place would be full all the time if just bad news stopped for followers of Jesus. You'd get saved. We'd hand you a little scratcher lotto ticket. You'd win and just God bless you on the way out. It'd be absolutely amazing. But you know this to be true. If you've lived for more than 15 minutes, if you followed Jesus for more than a day, you know that God doesn't stop bad news. That we still have to deal with it and wrestle with it. And it's trite to say, but it's real when we experience it. So what do we do? What do we do in the moments where we wish God would stop bad news, but we're still confronting it and we're, we're left with this tough decision of do I lean out or where is God? We're asking big questions and we're trying to figure out how to navigate it. The good news for all of us though is that the Bible talks so much about meeting people in the midst of their bad news. It really speaks directly to people who are hurting and feel left out. Today, I'm just gonna pick one of those passages and I'm gonna be in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter happens in the New Testament after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's written by a guy named, you guessed it, Peter, you already feel like a Bible scholar. This is great. It's written by Peter. He was a disciple, sometimes named an apostle, one of the core followers of Jesus. He had a front row seat to all the miracles, all the healings, all the provision, all the cool messages, all the things. He had a front row seat and he watched all of them. After Jesus' death and resurrection, he was challenged with starting the church as we really know it today. I mean, it's amazing the impact that this guy had and had some incredible things to teach us. He writes the letter of 1 Peter about 20 to 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection and gives us some really phenomenal insights. He's writing from Rome at the time and he's writing to what is now modern day Turkey to a number of different churches we're about to see and people groups who just feel left out who just feel high and dry, who ultimately feel like they have been punched in the mouth. And so here's what we see, First Peter. Here's where we begin. Starts with this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles. Super interesting. We're gonna come back to that. Scattered throughout, all over the place. Here's what we see. The provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Woodenville, Bothell, even the city of Seattle. I mean... Everywhere. He's throwing his arms around everybody. And he's using these intentional words. If we punch back one, it's elect exiles. Isn't that interesting? He calls people elect exiles. Really the only other time that we see this word elect and, and usually the word exiles is in the Old Testament. The first half of the Bible happens before Jesus. When God chose to work through the Jewish nation, through the nation of Israel, he chose them as his people that he would show his love through the world through them. It's really amazing. He often calls them the elect, but they find themselves as exiles because culturally they don't always line up with the customs that are happening around them. So at one time, they're both elect and exiles. 
And so as we read all these amazing stories in the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, and our Bible, we see these amazing stories of God moving. And these churches that he wrote to knew these stories, but were neither culturally nor ethnically Jewish. They were like many of us. They felt on the outside of it. So right away, Peter reaches arms wide to wrap these people in and include them in these miracle stories of God, calling them elect, even though they feel like exiles. Because you know this to be true. In the hardest moments of your life, you feel alone. You feel like you have no one around and no one will understand. Whether it's physically or emotionally, oftentimes we choose to isolate in the hardest moments. Because be honest, you don't want the feedback from other people. Either they're gonna give you feedback you don't need, and let's be honest, you don't need examples and you don't, need, you don't want their advice. Or they're gonna try and give you support, which sometimes it just ends up with clumsy word, and the last thing that you want in the hardest season of your life is pity. So you choose to isolate and remove yourself from people. And Peter, knowing this about humanity, reaches his arms wide to say, you're included in God's story. Don't leave yourself out. And he continues, and what he says next, I believe, is, is his hope, his promise, and his prayer for people through this whole book. This is his thesis statement. He continues and says this, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace, we all want it. Peace, we all love it. In abundance is what we desire. Abundance is a beautiful word. It gives me this word picture of my three-year-old daughter. She loves her stuffies, her little stuffed animals is the best. And because I'm a dad who's easily manipulated, I have given her a thousand. I don't even know, maybe 10,000, we've lost track. And when she plays with them, she doesn't wanna play with one or two or 10, she wants all of them at once. So she gets wide saddled like only a three-year-old could. She reaches her arms so wide, she gets all of them. She holds them on her neck and her chin. And she's like kicking them along with her too. She just does whatever she can. We go to the car, she's always walking like this with 10 stuffies. I'm like, we can't buckle all those in. She just wants so many, they're falling out everywhere. And this is beautiful picture of abundance that I see. And my prayer, and I believe this is Peter's prayer too, is he would want you to have that measure of grace and peace on your life. I don't think that's hard for you to get behind. I think you would sign up for that as well. How do I get grace and peace to that measure where it's just falling out? In the great seasons, of course, but even in the hardest seasons, it is falling out everywhere. You are just, people are like, is that dandruff? No, it's just grace and peace falling off everywhere. We would want that, we would aspire to it, but how we get it, that's where things get sticky. And the good news is, Peter didn't write two sentences in this book of the Bible, he continued. And I think gives us really practical steps on how we get grace and peace and abundance in the hardest seasons. I simply uh, titled it this, let's get really practical, making the best of life at its worst. Making the best of life at its worst. How do you do it? Making the best of life at its worst. Let's continue and see what Peter has to say. He says this, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth. A new birth into what? He's given us potential for something. Into a living hope. Now, 9 a.m. failed at this, but it was cold, it was ugly, it was gross this morning. You're gonna do better. Follow me. Everyone say living. living. Mediocre. We'll get one more shot. Say hope. 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 Wow. Okay, good morning. This is great. Into a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It wasn't through your own tenacity or good works or because you were a good person or sent out good vibes into the world. It, you have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
a living hope, which makes me realize this, that Peter's tipping his hand right away. We need to realize that you need to invest your hope wisely. You need to invest your hope wisely. We have a finite amount of hope, and where you invest it, you have to be strategic because you will get a return on your investment. The principle stays true. I have to admit something to you because this is church and it's good to get off my chase. High grace level, low shame level here at Timberlake. Every time I walk by one of those lotto machines and it's at a billion dollars, I'm not talking 500 million. That doesn't, that doesn't even change my life. That does, does nothing. <laughs> not, I would turn it down. I wouldn't even want it. I'm talking a billion dollars. My heart starts to think the same thing your heart thinks. What if? What if I won a billion dollars? What would I do with that? What would I do with a billion dollars? I mean, I'm gonna pay some taxes, sure. I'm gonna give the first 10% to God, glory to God. This is gonna be amazing. It got quiet, even though I just want a fictional billion dollars, people. You don't have to feel bad, but it's okay. Like, I have plenty of room to be generous. And in this, I start to wonder, what would, I, what would my house look like? You know? I mean, talk about misplaced hope. Every time I get on Zillow or Redfin right now, I'm like, Lord, I could do it. No, 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 you probably couldn't, not on the east side. But we get to this place where we're trying to figure out, and I start to wonder what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. And then I'm smart, like every one of you. And I think, nobody wins the lottery, but what if, right? And you think, and you strategize, and you misplace your hope so regularly. That's why your friends and your family told you that you should delete his phone number. And you should never text him back, that he's never going to change. He has always broken your heart, and you know it to be true. But you called him anyway, because you thought this time's going to be different. And he's not going to be the same. It's going to be better this time. And guess what? He still sucks. And, and you get to a place where you walked into it, and you thought, how could this happen to me? I got fooled again. It wasn't supposed to be this way. It was supposed to be different. You got a new job. And you thought, man, my manager interviewed so well. This is going to be so better. They talked about work-life balance. Oh, what a, what a blessing. This is going to be incredible. Until it got to the end of the fiscal year. And you knew it was coming, and they knew it was coming. It was sitting, it was Sunday, you're in church, and it was great, and you thought, no way. And your boss texts you, hey, it's urgent. And you thought, how can I be fooled again? I thought this wasn't gonna be this way, but you have mismanaged your hope into people or circumstances or titles or future or money, and you've placed it in all these things, and your return on investment feels so shallow. That's why we see this thing in Proverbs 23, 18. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope, what? It will not be cut off. There is a future hope should you invest it wisely. There's a future hope for you should you place it in a living and active Hope in Jesus is where we're called to place our hope, even though it might seem hopeless. Because you and I have all been in situations that we have declared hopeless. We look at it and we think nothing's gonna change, it's always gonna be this way, and we just make this declaration. Gets me thinking about the one, two, three. Three emails that I have received this year alone from Red Robin declaring it National Cheeseburger Day. Three. Three times it's been National Cheeseburger Day. I'm saying, you don't have the right. I get the marketing. Three is a little obnoxious. The other day I saw on social media, it was left-handed people's day. I said, who gets to choose that? Who gets to decide that? I'm gonna see next week, it's National Buy Your Wife a Purse Day. And I'm gonna look at my wife and think, you did this. 
You don't get to just declare it. You don't just need to send it out there, but we make these hasty declarations all the time. Silly examples, but you know you've done it in your life too. You've declared a relationship hopeless, a tension hopeless, a job hopeless. You've declared it hopeless when God is still a living hope. And he said, time out. I may not be done yet if you choose to invest your hope wisely. Or, this is my favorite, you get feedback from somebody else, somebody outside of the situation, and they tell you that it's hopeless. But isn't it true? We are oftentimes the worst critics of people and experiences we've never had to experience before. The other day, my wife and I were watching a classic film. I hadn't seen it over a decade. Young Leonardo DiCaprio in the Titanic. It was great. I mean, we invested all 18 hours it took to get through that film over a number of different nights and we're watching it and I'm about to ruin the ending. If you don't know the ending, I mean, you had a lot of time to watch the Titanic, but sorry. At the end, the ship is sinking and I'm on the edge of my seat and I see these actors running everywhere. I'm on the edge of my seat and wouldn't you know it, I am just yelling at the television. I am like, don't run towards the water, run away from the water. Like, Jack, get on a door, get on a door. Like, I am just yelling at everyone. It's like a dead end. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? And my wife, my wife had to pause the movie. She looks at me and she says, are you criticizing fictional people on the Titanic? And I said, yeah, they're idiots. What are you doing? Why would you run that way? What were you thinking? And I just, something flared up in me in that moment when all of a sudden I was face to face with the critic that is inside of me that is so natural to come out. I was criticizing people in the Titanic. She said, have you ever been on the Titanic? I was like, no, but I'd do it better, you know? <laughs> and if you're honest, you're honest. I'm gonna get in your business a little bit here. I think maybe God would be convicting you in this moment that if you're really honest, you provided a strategy or help or advice, but you were oftentimes so critical of situations and people who are close to you who you've never had to experience what they've experienced. And you tear them down, you make them feel horrible for the decisions that they've made. And I'm just telling you, Jesus provides another alternative. I get it's natural, I get it's easy, I get it's all of our desire and it's all of our tendency if we don't leave it unchecked. But would you check that desire and instead, could we be a place that provides living hope to people? Could you imagine if Timberlake was known for a place of living hope, that regardless of what last night or last week or last month or last year looked like for you, that you could come into this place and find a hope, a grace, and a mercy through Jesus? Could you imagine what our church could look like? I think it could be significant. We continue. Uh, point number two, we're gonna get there. In all this, well, we'll go, we'll go back and read the verse first. Sorry, that was my bad. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. I love this tension. Rejoicing and grief and all kinds of trials. That somehow in the midst of grief and all kinds of trials, we are expected to rejoice. It doesn't make any sense. And it, it forces us to be honest about this tension, this tension between trust and responsibility. This tension that we face between trust and responsibility. And how are we gonna steward that tension? How do we figure out what to do with it? Because in every situation, the good and the bad, we have to figure out what our place to own is. We can't abdicate some of our responsibility, like our mindset, our thoughts, and our feelings. Those are for us to navigate. But there's certain things that are outside of your control that you are going to inevitably have to trust to God. 
And how you figure that out, how do you manage that, is gonna be up to you because for all of us, we naturally drift towards one or the other. For some of you, you're high control people and trust is a challenge. You like to do things on your own, work it out, especially in the hardest moments, you're gonna put your head down and work it out and make it out the way that you always do. If we're not careful, that leads us to a really prideful disposition. And if, if you're on the other side of things and you're just too quick to trust, sometimes you just place your trust in any old thing and you just abdicate all responsibility and you say it's everybody else's fault to figure out how to manage me. And at the end of that, you really need to work out what is your responsibility to own and steward because sometimes we get a bit neglectful in the middle of it. It makes me think of the Old Testament story, Daniel. Daniel in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar, Daniel had this incredible story. He tried to follow God numerous different times in a cultural and context that did not want him to do anything with it. He kept trying to follow God with his life and just had these terrible things heaped upon him. In fact, in one point, Daniel was trying to worship God and they threw him into a den of lions to be eaten. Can you imagine this? And I saw this painting not too long ago of Daniel and the lion's den. It's just such a, a challenging and inspiring painting. You see these lions, you see ribs, they're hungry. You see bones like it's Indiana Jones on the ground. They are just, and this one's eyeing him. It is just done with. But then you see Daniel in this beautiful posture of the thing he can control, looking heavenward to Jesus. And I think how unrealistic is this. I mean, I would be turned towards those lions ready to fight that thing. I'm gonna tie their tails together. I'm gonna throw sand in his face. I'm gonna get that one. I, start, I would start strategizing and thinking. It's the same thing that you do in the hardest moments of your life. You start trying to work out all the angles. But Daniel remains in this posture, as hard as it may be and aspirational as it may sound, of trying to follow Jesus in the middle of it, which I get doesn't always make sense and always makes it hard, but for any of us, we have to steward this tension between where we're going to be responsible and ultimately where we're going to trust God in the midst of it. I want to take a quick pause from the message. Last week, um, our lead pastor, Pastor Ben, made an announcement. Many of you may have heard it. Maybe you may have seen it, that he is going to be transitioning from his role out of lead pastor, taking a step back. He'll still be around the team and everything, but he'll be taking a step back in his role for lead pastor. And we've, we've known this is coming for a little while with some health concerns, and honestly, some things that God is calling him to that just seem new and different, and, and we're really excited about it for him. But I realize we've had a little bit more time to process, and you've maybe had a week. Maybe today is the first day that you're finding out about this. And I get it's so challenging. You sit in one of these seasons where maybe this announcement felt like a punch in the face to you, where this is hard. And at the same time, you're called to do these two things to really trust God even though it doesn't make sense, that, that it's hard and you've had so many great memories together and he's maybe been a, an integral part of a spiritual season of your life. And so it's hard to trust God in the midst of it. Even though we see God's provision and bringing Pastor Dave and he's gonna be phenomenal, all that, it's still, it's bittersweet. And I, as much as you're excited to see Pastor Ben moving on and like really fulfilling what he, call, he feels like God is calling him to do, we still sit in this moment of how do we trust and how do we take responsibility that, that even though we're trusting God to work in it, at the same time, maybe we're gonna take a new call upon ourselves. This isn't a season to check out. This is a season to lean in and see God move in new ways, to still take ownership of finding my next step, being a part of God's kingdom here and bringing the hope that it does all over the place. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I would just encourage you this. Pastor Ben would never ask me to do this. He doesn't know that I'm doing it, so I might not be here next week. Who knows? But 
I would really encourage you to make November 12th, that Sunday, a priority. Circle it in your calendar. It's a weekend where we're gonna take to just celebrate Ben and his family. And if he's had any part of your faith story, I would just, let's make him feel so celebrated. Let's crowd surf him around the auditorium on that Sunday. It'd be great, even up in the balcony. Let's make it dangerous. But, but I think what a cool opportunity to celebrate him. And, and we'll get back to the message now. But like, I, I really think that'd be significant if I have room to challenge you would be that. How are we going to trust the Lord in the midst of it? It makes me think of this verse Pastor Ben said so many times and it's always stuck true to me. It's in Proverbs. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding and all your ways submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. Because when you've been punched in the mouth, nothing is more disorienting. And trying to figure out what your next right step is can be so hard. My five-year-old daughter started kindergarten not too long ago. And, uh, and of course, we're on the east side. She's got lots of homework. We're just driving them to excellence. She's got this packet of homework that she brings home from kindergarten. And she's got a month to do it. It's all these little worksheets. It's, it's mostly like writing her name a bunch of times and finding different shapes and working on her letters and her handwriting. It's great. But it's a lot of work to do. And she's like her dad. And sometimes she'd rather be around people than doing uh, work. And so we told her as the month end was getting closer, hey, if you finish this up, I, I know this wasn't a great idea, but we told her I'd put a benefit on the other side for you and I would take you to your favorite place, the place that every godly anointed suburban woman loves, Target, and I would let you buy this little toy that you'd been hoping for. You made me pause the screen so many times on the TV during a commercial. You want this toy. So she worked hard. She was grinding. She was doing her thing and she was working Really hard, she finished up her packet. We were so proud of her. We threw her a little party. We were celebrating in the car. We're turning up music. We're dancing. We're walking down the aisle. She's strutting down Target to get to this toy section. She knew where to go. She turned the corner. And have you ever had to tell a kid something they really want to happen wasn't gonna happen? Doesn't end well. Because we turned the corner and right there where the toy is supposed to be, it's empty. And she looks at me and I look at her and I look at the section and she starts to piece it together. <laughs> and I, right there, I see every daddy trust issue blossoming for therapy right there in that moment. <laughs> and she starts crying, just tears, snot, all of it. I mean, it was just like, uh, like just an ugly cry in the middle of Target. You know what she didn't need? She didn't need me to explain supply chain logistics. She didn't need me to say, like, the marketing did great. If only they had AWS, they'd be really in better shape. But shout out to my Amazon people, I got you. But if only, like, if they would have marketed less well, the manufacturing cycle, baby, it just didn't happen this time. But the good news is it's sold through. And so they're going to they're gonna induce another manufacturing cycle. It might be an increase in price. That's a bummer for dad, but not for you. It's okay. We're going to restock and we're going to make this happen. She didn't care because she wasn't thinking she was feeling it. She was experiencing it. It isn't true, just like a five-year-old in the hardest moments of our life. We ask the question why. We try and intellectualize. But that's not really what we want to hear. We ask the people around us. We even, you might be bold enough to pray to God, why did this happen? But everything falls short because she was feeling it. So I did exactly what I thought every good dad should do. And I got down on my knee. I looked her in her tiny little face. And I lifted up her little chin because she was so sad and tucked up. And I wiped off all of her snot and stuff on my sleeve. is gross. I looked her in the face and I said, Winter, you are, I know you're so disappointed right now. And I don't blame you. You worked really hard. 
And I bet you're, you're kind of mad, you're frustrated, probably really sad. And I think you deserve to be. But I just need you for a moment to trust me and know that I'm gonna get you this toy. It just probably won't happen today. And I wish in like a really cool pastoral parenting moment, I could look at you and say, in that moment, she stopped crying. She threw her arms around me and we skipped out of Target. (laughs) She didn't. She kept crying. She was frustrated and disappointed. But she knew I was there. She knew I hadn't lost sight of her and she knew that I still cared. In the midst of your hardest seasons, maybe you just need to know that God is still for you and not against you. He still sees it and he still cares. Peter continues, he says this. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith through greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. May not be today, may not be tomorrow. It may not even be on this side of heaven. And even though I knew that I could go to the Woodenville Target and I could get her tiny backpack thing that caused so much heartache. And I can go home and be a hero dad today. All the trite pastor in me wants to look up here and say, God's on his way to the Woodenville Target for your miracle. And he's coming through. But I can't promise that. I don't know that on this side of heaven, things are gonna work out the way that you really hope them to. But I do know this. If we embrace the power of enduring faith, then maybe we could experience something even better than the miracle we're hoping for. Maybe we could experience a God who is there and present all the more. At eight months old in child development, they they start to grasp this new concept that I think is object permanence. It's, It's really, it's a neat thing that at around eight months, you can hide an object and they'll know, even though they can't see it or hear it, that it still exists. I wonder what it would take in our faith in the hardest seasons of life to cultivate a sense of object permanence when it comes to God. That even though I don't see him or hear him, he's still there. He still cares and he's still present. We started with bad news and I wanna end with good news. The good news is that God doesn't always offer us a way out. He offers us a chance to let him in. Doesn't always offer us a way out, but he does offer us a chance to let him in. I wonder what that would look like for you today. Would you do me a favor? You can set everything down around you. You don't really need anything for this next part. We're gonna close with a song that I really love. And I would encourage you to stand to your feet and then just bow your head and close your eyes because I'd love to pray for you before we sing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I know there are people hearing this whether now or somebody sent it to them later that that need you to be near. That if they're honest, whether they had faith, it might be evaporating quickly because they just feel so disoriented. They can't tell up from down and they're in a situation they thought they would never, ever be in. Well, the good news is, God, that you are a living hope. And today I pray that people here would experience it 
that whether they feel like they have the courage or the strength to reach out to you, that you would be so close they could sense it. That God is not through words or a convincing argument, but simply through your tangible presence that we start to find hope, even in the hardest situations of life. That God, you are there, whether we can hear you, whether we can see you, we know it. I pray for people in this room to experience you in that way. And when they do, I pray the same words as Peter, that we would have grace and peace in abundance. God, that it would overflow us, that it would confound not only our own hearts and our own minds, but the people around us that know what we're going through, but still we carry ourselves with grace and peace and abundance, not through our own works or efforts, but because of your living hope. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.